Hello, everybody. Today, we are talking about how you can overcome your artist anxieties. If you would like to grow as an artist and you can't afford an art class, we've got everything you need to hear art prof critiques, tutorials, and professional development. Here are some anxieties that several of us on staff have, which is everything I try to make has already been done before. Now, Dorian, you do a lot of sneakers and there's been a few sneakers made in the past. Yeah, definitely more than a couple. Uh, <laughs> I've always had an affinity for like a love for shoes, footwear, especially basketball shoes, being a basketball player. So growing up, I definitely had a fear of only just making a replica of something else that someone else did. And if you look at this one, this is actually heavily influenced by Jordans and that's an iconic basketball shoe. So when people say, oh, it's like a Jordan, I'm happy, but I'm also like, uh, does it look original enough? Does it look good? Like, tell me some more. <laughs> it's a fine line between being inspired by something, but also worrying, oh, is it too close? Are people just gonna see the other shoe and are they not gonna see my vision? And Mia, you did this tarot card deck there's been thousands of tarot card designs. What was like that for you? Wow. I mean, it was, this project started more of a, as a studious exercise for me into the world of tarot versus me trying to make my original thing. But I think it's interesting because I went into it um, just trying to learn and take from the original source. And I ended up making something way more original than I initially thought possible. And I think that that just speaks to when I'm not thinking about it so much all the time about being worried about copying or being too close to someone else. It will, um, my own personal preferences and style will shine through, um, which is kind of interesting. But the whole time, you know, you can't really escape that anxiety when, when it's been done a billion times before. <laughs> Tell us in the chat, how many people here have had projects that you've had some hesitation with saying, hey, is this really worth doing when all this other stuff exists out there? Here's another thought. Am I behind other artists? Who here has felt this way? This, this is like story of my entire life because there's always people out there who look like they're doing better but you don't know the whole story. You know, maybe they started 20 years ago and you have no idea. Like Dorian, you have your shop, Laptop Market. Do you ever feel behind with your shop? Yeah, I think even today I had a discussion with one of my friends talking about like the integrity of shops, the integrity of a brand. Uh, also just what do I want to achieve with it? And as I look at other brands and compare myself, it makes me feel very anxious. I feel overwhelmed. It makes me feel like I'm not doing enough. Like, how can I get more interaction? How can I get more engagement? And it just starts the cycle of overthinking and imposter syndrome. And if you don't know about imposter syndrome, we can talk about that. That's a whole discussion after. But yeah, it definitely is something that I've had to really navigate and try and find my way through uh, slowly but surely. Seven Angelic says, sometimes I feel the first step in making some art is overcoming my anxiousness over failing before I start. Have you ever felt that way, Mia? 
Absolutely. I think in my own brain, I think that being an artist is 50% you're on a good streak and you're creating and it's all coming naturally. And then the rest of it is just coping with that anxiety and imposter syndrome and coming up with new ideas. And I think that um, as we'll talk about later, it's all an ebb and flow. So I think that uh, you have to give yourself time to acknowledge the anxiousness because sometimes I'm trying to make art and I'm like, what's wrong with me? Why do I feel like this? Why do I feel so frustrated? And then once I recognize what it is, I take a step back and I'm able to regroup a little and it's all easier. Well, uh, Sarah Z opened her show at the Guggenheim in New York City this week. And I'm here just like burning with intense jealousy. And I'm like, oh my God, I'm so behind. I haven't had my retrospective at the Guggenheim. And I'm not like Shazia Sikander, who just built this powerful feminine icon on the courthouse in New York City. And I don't have 492K subscribers like James Gurney and stuff like that just gets to you because there's always somebody ahead of you. And so to a certain degree, it feels fruitless to think about it that way. But we sort of can't help it because Dorian, do you ever feel that way that you know what you're supposed to be doing, but you can't help it? <laughs> yes. Anxious. Yes. It's like, even whenever I achieve something amazing and my business is doing well, like I have the engagement that I was looking for, there's still something that I feel is missing. And I also kind of relate that to have gone, been, let me pause. I relate that to have gone to an art school because there's this feeling of not having accomplished enough because there's always something more ahead of you. And having those big goals and having those ideas and wanting to execute them is something that I feel definitely con is contributing factor from art school and having this crits and having all those deadlines. Uh, yeah, I don't know. I don't know how you guys feel about that. Being someone who worked at an institution, also gone to an institution, maybe you guys could talk about that too. <laughs> well, what do you think, Mia? Oh, I agree. I mean, I think that in my brain, it's very much fatalist mentality because once I start on that spiral, I just fall deeper and deeper and it's harder to pull myself out. <laughs> so I get what you're saying. And I think especially social media too, when you go to school and you surround yourself either in person or online with other really talented, amazing people, you're just seeing the highlights of their career that they choose to broadcast. So when that's all you're consuming, it's very easy to compare yourself and just fall into that hole. And I like these comments from Jane, who said they discovered their art in their 30s. Pat stopped making art for 15 years. Ginger Cells started art at 18. And so I know a lot of people worry about their age, that, oh, there's 18-year-olds and they draw better than me and I'm 50. What hope do I have? But it's not all drawing skill. A lot of being an artist is what you want to say. And in those terms, the older people actually have a leg up because they have decades more experience. Now, this is also something that I think picks at us. Is this artwork doomed? Is what I'm doing, is it gonna be a waste of time? And I worry about this so much because I have so little time. I've got two teenagers at home. I have to keep them alive. I have to sleep, I have to eat and exercise. And so I have to, really pick, am I going to do this project and spend time because it's so limited? So this is a 
drawing I did of the bread fairy, my mother-in-law's monkey bread. And I did it on a live stream. I was like, oh, I really should come back. I'm like, I don't really like where it is. Maybe it's a waste of time, but maybe it isn't. Maybe I do it, it ends up so good. And it's just like totally messes with you. Like Mia, you have this children's book project that you've been wondering about. Yeah, so what happened with this was I graduated from RISD and immediately I didn't have any more assignments or projects. And so in my brain, I said, okay, now's the time where I have to make a huge thing that's going to bring me worlds of success or else I'm a complete failure and I'm a fraud. So <laughs> I had like a very, I, I immediately went into overdrive and I was trying to work so fast without even considering that making a children's book takes years of planning and art making. And I was trying to get this done in one summer because in my brain, I thought that that's what I had to do in order to be impressive. Um, and so I was working and working and not really doing research about how to publish it. And eventually it just kind of fell to the background. I lost um, my real passion for it. It didn't really go anywhere. And I did think it was a failure for a while, but I do have to realize that it inspired a whole new story that I'm working on in a far healthier way. So it, it's a net positive, I think. <laughs> Well, here's the thought. Ginger Cell says, I feel like if I don't finish it, I wasted my time. Do you ever feel that way, Dorian? So I think I always used to feel that way. But the reasoning why I don't at this point now is all of the stuff that you've worked on can somehow influence or impact the work that you make in the future. Like there are so many projects in that studio in this picture that haven't been completed. And I was so excited to start them and I was so excited to create and make them. But once I got halfway through, it kind of started to feel like, okay, I'm losing this passion for this project. Stepping away is, you know, we're gonna get into this later, but I will say stepping away is probably one of the best things that an artist can do because burnout is very real. Like if you focus on something too much or too intently, putting your all into everything can, negatively impact your work moving forward. And that's not even just short term, that's long term. I feel like I rarely finish things. I feel like <laughs> I only finish about 10% of the stuff that I start because I love starting stuff, but actually following through, that takes effort. And sometimes it's just not worth the effort. I'd rather just spit out 30 projects and if only two work out, I'm kind of okay with that because it's exhausting to have to go all the way with everything you make. Here's another thought. Am I doing enough as an artist? What is enough, Mia? <laughs> I think that's very subjective. I know people who are like, I made two oil paintings this year. That's a win. And I'm like, if I don't make two oil paintings in a month, I am being lazy. So I think that it's all a state of mind. And it's all what you, the expectations that you set for yourself. Um, and as long as they're healthy expectations and goals, I think that you're on the right path. But I know I've struggled with making myself do way too much and then getting burnout and not being able to continue projects and kind of what Dorian was saying before. Um, so yeah, different for everybody. Now, Dorian, I think there's a fine line because we want to push ourselves to do the work we want to do. And sometimes that means I can't eat ice cream all night. 
yes, I do have to get off my butt and do something. <laughs> but also you have to recognize when it's unreasonable. So do you have any tips for that? Yeah, uh, I think one of the first things is taking a breath and walking away from your work. You can spend eight hours and one day on it. And just because you spent eight hours and one day on it, unless you're on a deadline, and I will emphasize if there's a deadline, there's a difference because if you're doing something for passion and you have the time, not everything has to be done in two days. It can be spread across a week. It can be spread across a month. This jacket took me, I think that took me about a week, two weeks. And that was because all of those stamps, I hand carved all of the painting and priming on the back of it. I painted with my hands. All of the layout of it, I executed it in my head first. And then I was like, okay, now I can go. And I know that I'm going to be more happy with the final product than I would have if I would have just rushed through it just to complete something. And now as a result of that, I have jackets that I do with the old stamps that I've been selling on Blacktop Market page and just sold one of the first ones. Uh, hopefully I get a little shout out of him wearing it soon, but he just got in the mail yesterday. So it's like stuff like that where if you take your time, you can positively impact your work and also your mental well-being. <laughs> Sometimes it's a lot of upfront work for something yeah. to happen, but then you get to reap the rewards later. I mean, I'm always working on our website because I always think I'm not doing enough. But now there's enough on the website. I'm like, copy, paste, copy, paste. It's actually <laughs> kind of fun because I don't have to do all of that initial setup. And this is exactly how I feel about Art Prof every single day. Am I doing enough? Am I helping our audience? Is there something more I could be doing to make it a better experience for people? How can I tweak the workshops we're doing? I mean, Mia, I suspect you're sort of like me <laughs> because you work on this stuff and I'm always like, change this and tweak that. <laughs> But I get it. I mean, I, I, it's kind of like picking a scab. Not that art prof is a scab. It's much better than a scab. But thanks. You start digging in, and then you start seeing like, oh, that could change. That could change. Because as creatives, I think that we're always trying to climb to the next step and make it better and and do more. And um, uh, th for the viewer, when they look, they're just seeing what we have to offer. And they might be like, this is awesome. What needs to change about this? But as the creator, we're always going to be harping and uh, stuck on things that people might not care about. And we don't think about that. <laughs> Clara, out of curiosity, because I'm not sure if this story is correct, but I feel like I've heard it. Isn't Michael, no, Michelangelo? Yes, Michelangelo. When he was doing his marble sculptures, weren't there times when he would think that it was complete and then he would go back and keep working on it because it wasn't necessarily complete. And I feel like there's a quote that there is with this, like nothing is ever truly completed until you say it is. To me, I have to feel like it's complete. You know, a lot of the video tutorials that we produce here, I could probably show it to people when it's 90% done. Oh, you're done. Like, no, I have to go in and fix this brightness and I don't like that photo, I have to retake it. And so sometimes it's a real pain because doing enough is for me sometimes way more than what's actually necessary, but I don't like to leave it because to me it feels bad to do 90%. Other times, yes, I cut corners, but sometimes I <laughs> just won't because I can't help it. Oh, I hate this one. Am I headed in the wrong direction?
Mm. Yeah. I started this acrylic painting on the live stream and I was like, oh my God, this is such a disaster. Do you ever feel like that, Mia, that you start a piece and you're like, oh my God, it's going all over. And I was supposed to go that way. Oh yeah. I mean, I probably should have dropped photos of this into the slideshow, but I've been yelled at a lot of times on the internet about painting over um, oil paintings because I will work on them for months and months and I'll be like, this is so awful. And it turns into this mess of overworking something in an attempt to fix it. And eventually most of the time I just end up getting so frustrated that I scrap the entire thing and start from scratch. Um, but I have found that distance from your work helps so much. It's just getting space and time away uh, and seeing it with fresh eyes does absolute wonders for being stuck or, or not knowing where to turn. And sometimes I feel lame because I'm like, I did everything I could have done to be prepared. Like I did the stream on Sunday where I was like, oh, I'm so good. I did all these thumbnails. And then I got to this, I was like, oh my God, what's happening? So Dorian, do you find there is this almost roller coaster ride of anxiety? <laughs> I think in any creative's life, there's always a roller coaster of anxiety from the start of the project to the end of it. And if there's ever an end to it, to be honest, because as we mentioned earlier, sometimes we get halfway through and we're like, ah, this is too much. I can't, I can't, it's, it's done. It's overwhelming. But I think there's also kind of a weird satisfaction of that. If I don't know about you guys, but I know that if I'm anxious about it or if I'm stressing about it, then it means I truly care about it. And it means that I want it to be successful. And if it is successful at the end of the day, that's a different story, but it means that we're going into it with the intent to create something that's meaningful. And I think that says a lot about our anxieties because we wouldn't be anxious if we didn't care. Yes, I guess I care a lot. <laughs> I'm so anxious. Um, Artist Bab says, something that helped me was shifting my mindset from competition to collaborative. You end up cheering for everyone who achieves anything because any art win is a win for us all. Oh boy, that's such a positive sentiment. I wish I could feel that way because I never do. <laughs> do you, Mia? I mean, I do feel very proud of my students, but that's sort of different because I can't be jealous because they're not my age. And I'm like, oh, I'm so proud of you. But other times, no. So Mia, do you have friends or people who are cheering you on and you feel like you can support them too mutually i mean absolutely i think i i'm in a cool position where i'm living with two artists uh my age and we're all working on different projects and we are always sharing with each other and it's a nice collaborative environment i also have a very supportive family which is awesome i always show my parents things and they get very happy and confused sometimes because they don't understand what I'm doing. But um, but that's really nice. I think that I've been actively trying to shift my mentality to um, the one mentioned where it's just creating anything at all is a win. Um, because I know a lot of people who art was such a passion and they were a creative soul, but it drained them to the point where they could not even make art anymore, period. So I think as long as you can keep yourself excited about art making, that's a win, no matter what you're producing. Ram says, I have this wrong direction feeling as I'm self-taught, I might've picked a lot of bad habits, which has become part of my artwork. Well, Dorian, when you are self-taught and you don't have professors to breathe down your neck, I imagine there's so much questioning, like, is, is this the thing I should be learning? 
maybe I should be learning this. So do you have any tips for how to find direction within there? I am a big advocate for experimenting until you can't experiment anymore. So if there's anything that I would recommend, it's find one thing that you're passionate about or that catches your interest and push that, push in that direction until you reach a dead end. Uh, I started off without true art experience. Like I was getting stuff from the dollar store and just creating with the most cheap basic materials. It doesn't take the most expensive material to create something that can impact or influence somebody. And even now I use stuff that's from Savers, which is a thrift store here. I use stuff that's recycled, donated. It, it's all about the intent that you give the piece and it's all about what you make of it. So yeah. <laughs> Oh God, this is like every day of my life. Will anyone like my art? Who here? <laughs> Why? I mean, it's like I have had a professional life for a long time, decades of experience. And I still, when I go back and I release like a new piece that I made, like my Bread Fairy series, feels probably pretty established to the rest of you. But sometimes I look at this, I'm like, okay, well, I did this. This is our buns and bread lingerie. We have these buns in the oven. And now we have sesame. I'm like, are people just going to be like, Clara, what's wrong with you? Do we need another drawing of bread buns? And it, it just drives you a little crazy because, Mia, I think we, we just never know. We don't know how people are going to react to our work. No, we don't. And I, well, sometimes we do if we're active on social media and that could be either a good or bad thing. Um, but I think that it's, it's going to sound really cheesy, but I think that people can really tell whether or not an artist is invested and passionate and proud of their work and what they're putting out. And I found that when I was trying to force myself to make work that I think or thought that people would like. It was bland. It wasn't as good as it could have been. And now I'm kind of like, what makes me happy? What do I want to see? <laughs> That's a funny comment. <laughs> um, and my and wife <laughs> will sometimes compliment my drawing, which she didn't sound so surprised. We've all been there, George. <laughs> so speaking of not knowing what's going to happen, Dorian, what happened with this pre-sale? Yeah. I was so excited about it. I was like, this shirt is amazing. This is going to be cool. Everyone's going to love it. And it got good feedback. But whenever I was like, all right, shirts on the website, I got one, two sales. And I don't know. There was the excitement of putting out the new work. And then there was the kind of downside of, oh, well, uh, okay, two sales, cool. I like, I have to look at the positive where it's two sales I wouldn't have had if I didn't post it, but still it's kind of disappointing to have worked on it and not gotten the feedback or the reception that I was looking for. So I guess it's kind of also being prepared to put your work out there and not always getting what you want from it and being open to whatever like feedback, however many people are receptive to it, however much engagement you get, it's all about being okay with that. I'm not okay with it, but I'm okay with it. <laughs> <laughs> you have to be. <laughs> exactly. All right. So here are some coping mechanisms that we do. Commiserating with other artists to not feel crazy. I feel like half of our staff meetings 
or us going, hey, anybody ever like, yes, <laughs> we all feel this way. And I know, Dorian, you have FaceTime with your friends, right? Yeah, we, so those are my three best friends from college, Z, Lauren, and Nala. And even in school, we would have late night, like we'd be up at two in the morning, just working together saying like, okay, this is what you need to do to your piece to make it feel more like this. And having that back and forth with other creatives, which is also why I've enjoyed being able to be a part of some of the staff meetings that you guys have been having. Uh, just that engagement and that back and forth is so needed to push the art in a different direction or in a positive direction, whatever direction, we're a compass here. Uh, I really think it does elevate my work and it does elevate my thinking process and my iteration process in a different direction. So Mia, what exactly is Artist's Rant Hour? Well, similarly to Dorian, Artist Rant Hour is my like unofficial title for it. But it started in in school when my friends and I normally at like three in the morning when we were all tired and working on homework would get together and just start, you know, going insane <laughs> and just yelling and being like, am I actually going crazy or do you see that too? And does that also frustrate you? And is this really looking like this or am I just crazy? Um, and it's fun because eventually it would spiral into us just finding the littlest things to be happy about. Like I remember one time I was working on a painting and for an hour after I ranted about what was annoying me, I just kept being like, I just love this color yellow. Like this is making me fall back in love with the pieces, this yellow. And like that made the piece for me. And it's fun to commiserate and talk about that with other people because you don't feel so alone. Finding artist mentors. Now I know this isn't always easy for a lot of people. Certainly I had an easier time because I did go to art school, but I'm surprised a lot of people are at institutions and they don't take the effort to meet mentors and get to know them on a deeper level. Andrew Raftery was my professor at RISD. I mean, I've known him over, I don't know, 27 years or so. And I am now on the other side of the fence. I'm mentoring other artists like Kat and I. We did a lot of mentoring in Portugal. No, we just ate pastéis de Belém. <laughs> That's all we did like during the entire thing. Former students, Owen Rival, who was on a stream recently, Tony Janello, who's a longtime professor at RISD. Um, Dorian, do you have any mentors, like people who are not your age, but have maybe you know 20 years more Oh, yes. Yeah. So I will never forget the first time that I met one of my first mentors that's still hip to hip with me here in Providence, Jessica Brown. Uh, I literally was in the ID building and we were in different sections of the studio. I saw her shoes underneath the little divider. And I was like, oh my goodness. I got to go and see whose shoes these are. I walked across and it was a professor and she was in the middle of a crit. And I was like, I'm so sorry, but your shoes and your tracksuit are so nice. And she was like, I like you. What's your name? <laughs> ever since that moment, ever since that moment, she's helped me with getting my thesis project. She was my thesis project advisor. She helped me get my first job at a restaurant called Troop. She connected me to Revival Brewery, which is where I work now. And I helped do t-shirt menu design there. Uh, like there's so many things that she's connected me to and so many people that she's connected me to. And if I wouldn't have taken the time to actually get to know her or get to know what her work is actually doing, because she's also an activist in Providence, like having that connection is so valuable and so important and being able to have that now is invaluable. 
and not just mentors, getting to know other artists you don't know and reaching out. Anna, who I think is live here in the chat, I'm so happy that Lauren and I have gotten to know Anna. Anna was on the stream recently. And Mia, you met Clara Oncaza, who was in this stream with Kat this weekend. I did. I was at Mocha Fest in New York, which is a little comics, uh, not festival, but um, event in the city. So I traveled down there and there were so many artists there and it was so packed of, with people. And I knew Clara was going to be there, but I didn't know where. And she came and found me and we talked and hopefully we'll get to hang out soon. But it's amazing. Like I was so inspired for the rest of the day just from talking to her and having a short conversation. So that's a very lucky thing the artists have. And you know something, a lot of these are people I have not met in person. I mean, in the 90s, you were like going to be murdered if you talk to somebody online. And I just think it's a very different world now. Dominic Kokoza, who um, is a current Reese student, we reached out to him. Jarrett Krasazka, also very successful um, children's book illustrator. Greg Kanan. Yeah, none of these people. I haven't met any of these people in real life. I connected with all of them online. And actually, Isis Davis Marks reached out to me on Twitter. And we've talked and been on the live streams and the Discord. I mean, I've met so many people. I met up with all these people in Portugal. I've met people through the workshops. So while, yes, there's a limit to what you can do sometimes, there's a lot you can do in terms of online connections. Here's another thing. Oh, God, I need to do this. I'm so bad. <laughs> I ruminate. Turn off your mind when working. So you've got a bunch of mechanisms for this story. And one of them is your playlist. Yeah. Sorry, the connection's a little spotty right now. Uh, but yeah, so this is actually one of the brainchilds of my friend Jess. She goes by Miso. You guys should follow her. She's one of the brand ambassadors for Blacked Out Market. Her and Meg have been like really supportive of all the stuff that I've been working on with Blacked Out Market, and they help curate a playlist. Uh, Jess sits there and is like, all right, what do you want the theme to be? And I'm like, uh, uh, she's like, never mind, I got you. So like last week she had this idea of doing a MySpace one. This week I wanted to do like international jams. So it's like being able to not focus on the black top market screen printing clothing aspect of it and shifting my mind to something else and being like, okay, I love music. Everyone loves music. She loves music. How can we do something that's fun and playful and can still be engaging? That's something that I love about every Friday, every Saturday now where I get to just sit and listen to music. And I'm like, okay, I get to tune out. I get to work. I get to do this. I get to do that. And people will text me like, oh, this place is actually pretty good. And I'm like, yeah, like you shouldn't be surprised. Like we got good music. Like, we got good music taste, geez. <laughs> but yeah, I Michelle, love Michelle says, I found that many artists are more than willing to provide guidance. I always feel like I'm wasting their time though, since I'm so new and still finding my way. Mia, I know you've reached out to a lot of artists. And it's so surprising. It's like, yeah, people are actually really nice when you reach out to them for the most part. Absolutely. I mean, definitely there have been times where I DM someone on Instagram and they their following is just so big that it just gets lost in the pile. But you can't take it personally. But when yeah. they do respond to you, it feels so nice and warm. And you're like, wow, you're seeing me not only as just a fan, but as a person. And so many times they're, they've been like, 
oh, you like this? Let's talk about it. Let's like dig into that. Let's be creative together. And um, it's just nice that common interests, wouldn't you know it, bring us together. So art is definitely one of them. <laughs> one of the ways I turn off my brain, I just put on a Benedict Cumberbatch <laughs> movie. That's like one of my favorite places to make art because I'm like watching a movie and Matthew Good is in there. I've watched this movie like 500 times. It's the imitation game. And it, it's just, it provides some comfort because Benedict is there and I'm just focused on him and I have to worry about my work. So that is oftentimes very effective. You have to give yourself time to find inspiration. Being an artist is not always making. A lot of it is inspiration. So Dorian, tell us about this inspiration. Yeah, uh, I think one of the biggest things of athletes and basketball players is being up early, which I hate. And also like the commute, getting to where you need to go, even if the basketball court is two miles away, you're catching a bus or a subway or something. And I was catching the bus a lot at one point before I had a car, thank God for my mom. <laughs> but yeah, I decided that I wanted to kind of highlight this part of basketball culture where the commute is also a thing. It's not always just about the basketball course and always about the shoes. And I started doing this animation. I learned how to do Adobe Anime. I learned how to work in Photoshop. And it gave me this opportunity to create something really cool that also I then transformed into something that could be a shirt now. So I wanted to start working on iterations of this and I'm trying to release a new version of the shirt where it's like late nights, early mornings. Uh, yeah, it's been exciting, but I would never would have expected it to turn into a screen print design from where it originated. So it's kind of cool to play with that process. So we've got Margaret um, Rozier, who no accident is related to Mia, <laughs> who says, does anxiety fuel you? Imagine not having any anxiety. What else motivates you as an artist? I know exactly, spite. Spite works so well, like almost all the time. That can inspire me to get off my butt and do something. That is very true. Especially when people say you can't do something or someone says, uh, that's, that's decent, like you're okay. I think someone else is better. Oh yeah, that's fuel to the fire. It lights a fire, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Actually, I take a lot of inspiration from non-art fields. This is David Levovitz. He's a chef. He's American and he lives in Paris. And I love him. Like I read every single thing he releases, like totally religiously. This is one of the best books I ever read. It's by Atul Gawande, who is a surgeon. And he writes about in this book, end of life issues. And <laughs> oh my God, air to fight in Moulin Rouge. Okay, that's a non-art field, right, Mia? Right, this counts. I well, it's, it's musical arts. It's ah. it's the art of man. <laughs> oh my god! Like the red, the red. I, I'm looking at colors, and I'm looking at the chiaroscuro lighting. Right? This is very inspirational. Oh my god, you guys! You I need to do a painting of this one, Clara. That's your next project. I actually am. I need to do <laughs> something of his hands because I learned how to draw hands from watching Aaron to bite. He's so hot. Oh my god. <laughs> All right. Um, Mia, for you, sometimes it's where you go. Tell us about the Providence Athenaeum. Yeah. So I always find when I'm stuck in a rut, it helps to just go somewhere else and sit down and it just experience a new environment. So um, sometimes I'll go to like Barnes and Noble or a cafe. 
um, anywhere close to me with outlets. Um, and I discovered this, well, I didn't discover, I was told about it. Um, this little Providence library called the Athenaeum, which is right on Benefit Street. And it's just so small and cozy and it's normally empty most of the time. Uh, don't everybody start going there because it won't be as empty as it normally is. It's my place, no kidding. But um, it's it, it's so nice and comfortable and quiet. And I just sat in those like comfy chairs and hours flew by and I was working the whole time and I didn't even register how much I had gotten done until I left. And I think that it really clears your mind when you're somewhere new and you can just focus on where you are and the newness is enough to like distract my brain and just let me pump through a bunch of work. So yeah, super cool. Why is there this random picture of you and Kat? <laughs> That's a really good question. <laughs> anyway. I mean, I mean, yeah, I went to go visit Kat, which is which was someplace new. So <laughs> there you go. You could go I visit a friend. <laughs> now, here's what we always have to remind ourselves: the creative process has a natural ebb and flow. So, what is the ebb and flow for you, Dorian? Oh. There's so many flows and ebbs and people and play. Yeah, just, yeah. Um, I usually start off with sketching in my notebook. I technology issues suck because, as you can see in this, my computer kept crashing in the middle of me working. So it's dealing with the computer crashing. It's dealing with trying to get new ideas and pushing through whatever you can. I love basically just starting off with seeing what looks good as a shirt, what looks good as a poster, what looks, because not everything is meant to be what you might intend for it to be. Uh, I love to just see what it will look good as. I love printing it out. I love experimenting with it on Photoshop. I started using my printer scanner because I've been seeing all these Instagram videos of people like shaking the photos after they print it and playing around with the effects of kind of a live Photoshop. So it's all about being a part of, or being open to experimentation throughout the process and seeing what works, what doesn't work, and how you can basically make it work. And here's the thing, you will not be productive and excited every single day. I, I wish I could just delete all the videos on YouTube that say you must draw every day, or you're gonna suck as an artist. It's, it's just so not true. I mean, I have this bread fairy series I've been working on for a while, but I have not touched this for months. I've done a little, and the last time I worked, I didn't even work that much on it. It was this piece that I took like an eight month break from, like no exaggeration. And this is where I left it. And I can't go back for some reason, just sitting there for months. And I, I just think that people are so hard on themselves to always be productive, but it's like, you need those lulls, Mia. I agree. I mean, for me, the ebb, the ebb and flow of the creative environment is you have to give yourself time to rest and regroup and rediscover what made you passionate and excited about a project in the first place. And then by the time you're ready to start working again, at least in my experience, I will just ease back into like a flow, you know, that that really satisfying state of mind where you're like, this is actually clicking and working and I'm excited. And that's what um, keeps me in love with the art making process. And it's, you know, trials and tribulations and all, it tends to be worth it most of the time, but you have to let yourself rest because if you don't, it's just gonna make everything worse. Ginger says, this is hard to accept. I want to be productive every day. So do I, 
I want to make, I want to be like Durr every day, but it's not going to happen. So I just have to settle with being Clara Lou. So there's a million things <laughs> that I would like to do, but it's like the reality of it is we can't do all those things, at least all at once. We can just sit here and stew that Sarah Z has a retrospective of the Guggenheim and Hugh Jackman posted that he went and now I'm like really sad my art career isn't better off. So it's all about Hugh Jackman, huh? Oh my gosh. All right, everybody, we still have some spots left in our two April workshops, Jelly Plate Experiments and Drawing Cats. And guess what? I am doing two in-person workshops in Salt Lake City in May. The information's not out yet, but it's coming out really, really soon. So stay tuned for that. Um, me and Dorian will be in the Discord chat immediately after the stream, meet us in post live streams. So that way we can chat about Benedict Cumberbatch <laughs> or anything else we want to talk about. <laughs> See, you just got me going. <laughs> As services, we have artist calls, personal art curriculums, artist statement editing, and portfolio critiques. Join our Patreon group. In our Patreon group, you can share your art in weekly voice sessions. I provide critiques and tons of support. I'm not doing critiques in the public channels because I'll go insane if I have to do all those critiques. And most of all, you find support in a small group of artists, people who are really invested in each other. It's such a nice group, you guys. Check that out. And who's going to sponsor this video so I can hire the model to pose in real time and shoot 8 billion reference photos for all of you to practice from? They're waiting for you. We're waiting. <laughs> Thank you to our top Patreon supporters. Oh, you guys are so loyal to us. So many people have been here for years supporting us. And, you know, people come and go. I understand. But, oh, boy, you guys are extraordinary. Visit artprof.org. There is content on there that's not on YouTube. Use the search bar. Artprof has a podcast. It's available on Spotify and also on iTunes. And subscribe for more tutorials, critiques, and business tips. Everybody, thank you so much for watching. We'll see you next time. Bye.